Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and my co-host Nick Gosling is here with me today. And we have a special guest, Alexander McCobin. Alexander McCobin is CEO of Conscious Capitalism Incorporated, a U.S.-based organization dedicated to elevating humanity by improving the practice and perception of business. Before joining Conscious Capitalism, McCobin served as the co-founder and president of Students for Liberty. Alexander also sits on the board of directors for the Libertarian Christian Institute. Alexander, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. When, when I think of uh, the term conscious capitalism, you know, as somebody who's always been in favor of capitalism, I, m- the first question I have to ask is, is there such a thing as an unconscious capitalist? <laughs> it depends on what you mean by each one of those terms, but the simple answer I would say is yes. So by unconscious, if you mean someone who is not reflective on the way that they practice business or cap- or believe in capitalism, or someone that actively is actually trying to simply promote their own interests, and especially doing so at the expense of others because they think that capitalism or business is a dog-eat-dog world, that ethics don't apply there, that it's an ethics-free space, as some people have actually said then absolutely they can be unconscious. And someone can be an unconscious capitalist if they are a business person who is a capitalist, they have capital to use here, and believe that. Or even someone who actually defends the free market, who believes in capitalism, but has done so poorly because they have bought into some of these negative ideas about how the market does or should work. And we're actively trying to address both of those kinds of groups. So, you know, Alexander, I read the book Conscious Capitalism when it came out, John Mackey's book. I I think it was around 2013. Uh, A a buddy of mine whose wife works at Zappos went to see Mackey speak. And so I have an autographed copy of the book. I thought it was great. And and for those who don't know, Zappos was or or is uh, an e-commerce retailer that was acquired by Amazon some years back and has really done a lot of innovative stuff kind of in the management sphere and and in a, in a lot of diff- different ways in business. But I remember reading somewhere, I don't remember if it was in Conscious Capitalism or if it was in something from Peter Drucker or elsewhere, but uh, a discussion on sort of the, the evolution of management coming into the 20th century. And so if you look back at like the history of how, how management has been conducted, there, there used to be a very command and control type approach that was inspired really by military hierarchies where managers sort of just pushed commands from the top down and you were expected to fall in line. And, and then as kind of we got into later in the 20th century and, and the rise of the global stock market, uh, there tended to be more of an emphasis on hitting like revenue goals and things that looked good 
for for investors and for Wall Street because uh, C-level executives would want to try to drive up their bonuses as high as possible. And that sometimes that worked out for the long-term good of the firm. Other times it was sort of like a, like a stewardship or, or time preference issue where uh, because they, they wanted to get those numbers as high as possible at the time so they could hit their bonus, they weren't necessarily taking into account uh, the, the long-term viability of the firm. But now we're kind of moving into a new era and I think conscious capitalism is is sort of part of that trend where management is being reanalyzed and reexamined, and and we're looking at different ways to go about how to run a company. What do you think of that? And how does conscious capitalism sort of fit into that evolving trend? I think that is a great question. That's hitting on a lot of root issues for conscious capitalism. So let's start actually from the beginning, which is not just the military applications or, or military interpretations of management that has pervaded the corporate, the corporate world for so long. It actually goes back to pre-capitalist economic systems, in my mind, with most corporations actually, when they were first developed in the 17th, 18th centuries, being modeled on the economic system that existed at that time, feudalism. Corporations were originally basically extensions of the feudal structure into new areas beyond the territory that were already controlled by governments, and they were actually extensions of, of the government in that sense. And that's why they had very top-down systems. They had their own militaries. They, they weren't really the kinds of businesses that we think of today. They, they, we've preserved that term, but they were very different back then, and they created a management structure based on the way that the government that they basically were an extension of was modeled on at that time too. As capitalism started to develop in the late 18th and then getting into the 19th centuries, that's when you did start to see management beginning to evolve and the 20th century clearly breaking through with, with a very different approach. Like you said, the market really being this, this important force that created whole new incentive structures for management and leadership becoming a concept that people were interested in in a way that was notably different. And that, that was a real step forward. That cannot be understated just how much the idea of focusing on profit and creating value for shareholders and other stakeholders and the idea of the value for value exchange driving decisions and structures mattered. But that was just a step forward. It wasn't the end-all, be-all of business. Conscious capitalism, as, you, as you're pointing out, really is a continuation of this evolution of thinking and the evolution of not just management, but business itself, away past the idea that was really espoused and embedded in business schools, economic pundits, and even legislation for what the purpose of a business is and what managers and leaders and businesses are supposed to do, which for most of the 20th century was just maximize profit and deliver the greatest return possible to shareholders and investors. That way of thinking is in some ways kind of uh, old fashioned now, I would say, but also it was wrong back then. And conscious capitalism is helping articulate why that is. Because many business leaders and managers, even in the 20th century and before, understood the idea that business is about something deeper 
than just maximizing that income. That business is about taking care of more people than just shareholders, but everyone that a business touches. And conscious capitalism is an articulation of that way of thinking that is that tries to help business leaders and society as a whole understand where where business fits in and provide tools and support for businesses to be run on a different way of thinking that uses new paradigms of management, as you were talking about, um, that really helps us evolve, not just business itself, but really at the end of the day, what business is all about, which is how we organize each other to achieve goals and how we as human beings interact with one another. At the end of the day, a business is a group of individuals trying to accomplish something together. And that pervades so much of society and the human experience period that conscious capitalism is really trying to just break down how we should interact with each other and how we create value when we do so with each other. You know, it's clear that the the culture is changing in a way that this is this is becoming more and more a thing, if I can say that, where you know a business is more conscious of the impact that it has in a number of ways. I often wonder how much of that is due to activism uh, over the past few decades, where there's just a a, a battering of of the ethos of business, where it just is it's changed because those people are now in leadership or because they've just been hounded by those on you know maybe the activist left uh would be the mo- the ones who kind of to speak up the loudest in this regard is that something that you think has been a force in the culture to push businesses in this direction it's certainly a factor that you have to consider but i would but it's not the only one and i wouldn't even say that activism has been even a principal cause of this. I think there are a few other variables that are more important here. First off, as I I said before, this approach to business and capitalism is not new. It's been there for decades and centuries since the advent of capitalism. In a lot of ways, conscious capitalism is actually trying to remind people of what the founder of free market capitalism was articulating. Adam Smith, before he wrote The Wealth of Nations and before he became this noted economist, was a moral philosopher. Over a decade before then, he wrote a book called The Theory of Moral Sentiments, where he highlighted the importance of people taking a moral ethical perspective and how to do so with one another. And his economic principles flowed from his moral theory. And conscious, and there have been many business people who have carried that tradition on, who have had a conscious approach that recognizes the human nature of this endeavor, that have strived for a higher purpose in their work, and you know often didn't get credit for it. And especially as business became over economized, over theorized in the twentieth century, most people didn't pay attention to what those leaders were doing. Now, I think in the 21st century, especially ever since the 2008 crisis, there is a growing interest in trying to rethink and rearticulate the narrative about business in different ways. Conscious capitalism as a term and an organization 
really begins to develop after the 2008 crisis as well. And so I think that is a pivotal moment where not just activists, but business leaders and others started to realize that what was being taught and the way people talked about business was just wrong. And there is this growing interest in conscious capitalism as a result now. But there, there are a number of variables at play here, and I have to keep coming back to the point that this has been a part of business and capitalism since the beginning. It's not that everyone has practiced it, but it's always been there. Yeah, that's an important uh, thing to point out, because if, if people think it's new, then they might think it's a response to something else, whereas it's just like kind of the core of what capitalism is. Before we keep talking about this, you know, when we use the term conscious capitalism, uh, we're describing an organization that you are the CEO of, uh, but we're also talking about uh, something that's a description. And so what would, for our listeners, what would you say a conscious capitalist believes? The simple way to put it is that conscious capitalism is a way of thinking about business and capitalism that emphasizes the human nature of these endeavors. We, we as conscious capitalists believe that business is inherently good. It creates value for people. It's ethical. It's based on voluntary exchange. It's noble in that it's trying to uplift humanity. And, and it's something that has had a tremendous impact on people's lives. But just because capitalism has already had a tremendous impact on humanity doesn't mean it's perfect, and we can still do better. And the way that we seek to support the, the understanding and practice of conscious capitalism is by helping businesses run on conscious capitalists for principles. Then they are higher purpose, as in having a purpose that's greater than just maximizing that income. Second, stakeholder orientation. You know, we talked a little bit before about the orientation towards shareholders in business schools, media, even legislation. But the idea of stakeholder orientation is that shareholders matter, but other groups matter too, like customers and employees and vendors in the community. And businesses, instead of thinking about how benefits to any one of those groups somehow takes away from another group should actually be a way to create value for everyone. It, it's kind of the root of economic thinking right? that when you engage in business, you're creating win-win solutions for people. You're not, you're enlarging the pie of value for everyone instead of divvying the pie up. And stakeholder orientation is about getting more businesses to think that way about how they engage their stakeholders to create win-win-win solutions for all of them. The third tenet is conscious leadership. So we often think that business leaders need to be smart, um, both analytically, they need to be logical, and they need to be able to make good decisions. And also emotional intelligence is becoming a really big topic today, which is great. Understanding how we relate to one another. But we need to even go beyond that to think about systemic intelligence. How do you apply those analytic and emotional skills beyond one-on-one -on -one interactions to interactions with 10, 100, 1,000 people at once, as many businesses have to? And how can leaders then embody spiritual intelligence, which doesn't necessarily have a religious connotation, although many businesses are run on spiritual principles and would embrace that, but rather the idea that business leaders ought to embody the values of their business 
to be a model for others in what they do and have a higher sense of their own purpose. Fourthly, a conscious culture. Most people think about revenue strategies, business plans, strategic planning. Those are all important, but most of the time, people aren't referencing a strategic plan or growth strategy to make decisions or go about their daily jobs. There are implicit expectations of relationships, ways to get things done, and just how people interact with each other when, when they're going about their regular work that actually matters a lot more. And how can we create businesses that promote healthy, whole individuals and, and empower them to go and make the most worthwhile and meaningful decisions for both themselves and the business. You know, Alexander, I think uh, stakeholder theory is really probably the most controversial of these, of these points. It's debated even amongst libertarian economists and free market economists. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that and, and give you an opportunity to answer some of the objections. So when when people talk about stakeholder theory, one of the common pushbacks is that you can't really run an effective uh, an effective business without putting the shareholders' uh, profit interests as being primary. And and the objections typically run for several reasons. Number one, it's hard to make a good business decision on actually what is effective for the organization without looking at the profit signal. Uh, in, in the same way that, you know, we may say, or libertarian economists may say that uh, it, it's hard to price something or, or really have a market economy without price signals, which is one of the key failures of socialism. So part of the criticism is that you can't really uh, run a business or make effective business decisions without looking at th the bottom line, which is creating shareholder wealth. And then number two, they would say uh, that there's also the, the, the ethical dynamic because the shareholders took the capital risk. They have the right to reap the benefits of that profits, and it is unethical to put other things ahead of that. So how would you answer those two objections? So let me start by dispelling some myths around conscious capitalism. The first is that conscious capitalism believes profit is bad. That, that is absolutely not the case. Profit is good. Profit's great, actually. And profit is necessary for a business to grow and to fulfill its higher purpose. What conscious capitalism holds is that profit is not the reason that a business exists. It should not be the end of a business. And a good way to think about it is that profit to business is kind of like red blood cells to human beings. We need red blood cells to survive. Red blood cells are great, but that doesn't mean that we live in order to create red blood cells. Profit plays the same role in business. Another myth is that conscious capitalism says, well, Profit doesn't matter. You need to focus on other things and that you should be willing to sacrifice profit in order to fulfill these other principles. That's also not true. Profit is being a good thing. We want businesses to maximize profit. What conscious capitalism actually argues is that you can make more money and achieve a greater profit by using these principles than if you don't. And we actually see this played out time and time again, and the numbers back it up. The reasoning can be a little counterintuitive, but we see in other areas of our lives as well. In philosophy, 
there is something called the happiness paradox that directly fits this, where if you think about your own personal life and if you were to say you want to be as happy as you possibly can be, and you then decide you're going to make every decision in order to maximize your own happiness, you're, you're counterintuitively probably going to end up pretty unhappy. Like if you just say you're going to go and spend the weekend trying to maximize your happiness, you're probably going to be really worn out and upset with yourself at the end of it. In contrast, the happiest people tend to be those who do not place their own happiness as their primary goal or end or make every decision based on that. What the happiest people do are set other ends as what they care most about, whether that's another person, an ideal, or anything else. And that same paradox or principle actually applies to business, where if you just go around trying to maximize profit at every moment and use that for every decision, you're probably not actually going to maximize profit. If you go about trying to create value for everyone that you interact with, if you're concerned with customer satisfaction, with vendors being happy, with your employees being engaged, and make those priorities, profit will follow. That, those are the first things that I want to address there. The other thing to keep in mind is that, or actually, third myth is the idea that shareholders don't matter, that we, or that conscious capitalism says you should make decisions that are bad for shareholders. That gets back to the idea that there's this fixed pie of value out there. And if you're going to benefit employees, say, with a higher wage or greater benefits or something, or you're going to benefit your vendors in some way, you must be taking from the shareholders. That is a very counterintuitive view, even from the basic concept of business, where what we're supposed to be actually making decisions based on is how you create value for everyone at the same time. When you take a stakeholder-oriented approach, you may be trying to come up with more difficult and creative solutions to problems, but solutions that are going to benefit everyone at the same time. It takes more work and creativity, but it can be done. And as I said, the numbers actually show that this works. There's a book by one of the co-authors of Conscious Capitalism, Professor Raj Sisodia, a professor at Babson College, who, before he wrote Conscious Capitalism, wrote Firms of Endearment, where he actually studied and compared the performance of conscious capitalist companies over a 10-year-long period and compared them against the S&P 500 and found that companies run on conscious capitalist principles compared to the average business not only outperform the market, they do so by leaps and bounds. The whole idea of taking a stakeholder-oriented approach along with the other principles of conscious capitalism is really about leaning into the very concept of business itself so that everyone, including shareholders and investors, benefit. I feel like I'm talking a lot right now about this, and so I'm not sure if I've answered every part of your question, but, but I'll stop there and see if there's anything that I missed that maybe I can circle back to. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I mean, for anyone who's, you know, run, run a business or owned a small business or, or run a division of a larger organization, will hopefully understand what you said, that yeah, taking care of, of customers uh, and, and employees and vendors is, is vital, actually, to profits. I mean, if your vendors are angry with you, they're, they're going to cut off your contract, they're going to stop supplying you, 
Uh, they're not going to give you good payment terms, which can hurt cash flow. Uh, employee turnover is just a massive drain on the bottom line. So, yeah, the, these things all actually do sort of synergistically fit together. Um, sometimes, though, in, in the, and I'm just giving some friendly pushback here, you know, there, there, there may be times where it seems like the interests of shareholders or the organization will conflict with one type of stakeholder group. So, for example, uh, you know, there, there, there's, and we see stories like this all the time of, oh, this company shut the factory down and put all these people out of work. And, yeah, sometimes maybe it was like kind of a, a greedy move. Other times the factory just wasn't profitable and it was necessary in order to save the organization itself to sort of cut off that unprofitable branch. How do you address that and as you're sort of balancing these different uh, stakeholder emphases? Look, business is tough and conscious capitalism doesn't hold that everything is always going to be sunshine and rainbows. It's, it's not. You know, I, I can't comment on any on abstract cases like that. It really is going to come down to particular circumstances, but I, I I think I can say this, that being a conscious capitalist doesn't mean that you don't make hard decisions. It doesn't mean that you don't make decisions that others will disagree with or that will never harm anyone, especially from an economic perspective. There, there are situations like that. What matters, though, is starting with an orientation and a dedication to trying to do the right thing and find the most when the best solution that creates the best outcome possible for everyone involved. And it may not be ideal. It may not be great, but there are better and worse ways to make decisions like that. When you talk about shutting down a factory, there's a difference between doing so without any notice and for, uh, for the justification of simply trying to maximize some short-term returns, even though the factory may have been long-term successful and doing so without concern for the employees whose livelihood depended upon that, especially if they've been there for a long while and so forth versus being open and transparent about the process, engaging the workforce in that offering opportunities for the workforce afterwards to try and help them out. There, there are lots of variables and considerations that businesses can take like that to make hard decisions that are ultimately necessary, but to do so in the right way. Hey folks, Norman Horn here from LCI. Would you do us a quick favor and rank us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to us? High rankings helps us get the word out there. And now let's get back to the show. What does conscious capitalism think about labor unions? Now, this, I think, is kind of could, could go either way because on, on the one hand, I mean, I, I think unions actually could be uh, a, a free market institution. It's totally fine for workers to join together and, and negotiate together. Uh, we run into like, problems from a libertarian standpoint uh, when there's no right to work and, and you're forced to join the union. Uh, so I think in practice, especially in the 20th century, uh, unions have have been bullies many times and have had a, a very negative impact on on the American workforce. But in theory, I, I think you know unions could be a good thing in a market system. What what, what do you think of that? I, I think that 
That's right. And that's how it plays out with conscious capitalist companies that they're, there's nothing wrong with the idea of unions and there can be great relationships between conscious capitalist businesses and unions. What's interesting is that a lot of the businesses in our network don't have unions simply because their employees have found those unions to be unnecessary. There is a great relationship between the business and its employees to such an extent that when unions have come in and proposed unionizing the employee base, the employees have responded, why? Uh, What benefits are you going to provide us that we're not getting already? For those business leaders that don't want to have unions come in, it's, it's worth considering how might an approach like this and taking an orientation where you're benefiting employees at the same time as benefiting every other group in such a way that it, they, that they know they're getting the best deal they can, how that plays out. So what is, um, tell our audience a little bit about what, what is corporate social responsibility and how does, or how should it affect the way, uh, business is done? Corporate social responsibility was a, was an approach to business that was prominent in the second half of the 20th century and is still very active today. That basically is about business giving back that involves business, whether through philanthropy or changes in its policies uh, or products or something like that. Um, doing more to support the community and society beyond what it normally does for its business. Oftentimes, people conflate CSR, corporate social responsibility, with conscious capitalism when they're actually very different concepts. CSR in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but conscious capitalism is not about businesses giving money away or giving back for, to make up for the wrongs they've done in the productive process. Quite the opposite. Conscious capitalism is about focusing on the way that businesses make money. Having businesses create so much value for everyone they touch in their normal productive operations that they don't need to, quote-unquote, give back afterwards. That's already been done through their normal operations. In doing this, there's a certain sense of even pride that matters, where CSR's business leaders kind of doing something good in the evening after doing harm in in the day, whereas conscious capitalism wants business leaders to take pride and be willing to stand up and say, I'm a business person, and I've created all of this value for so many people, and boy, am I excited to let people know about that. You know, this whole idea of conscious capitalism and even corporate social responsibility doesn't really sound that foreign to me. And, you know, as a libertarian, I think about business and I often think of business as if conscious capitalism was kind of the standard MO. And unfortunately, it's not. And and fortunately, it seems to be growing as as a movement, if you will. Um, But, uh, you know, (laughs) There's a little bit of a, maybe a slight personal question here, but when, when I hear the phrase, you know, corporations or people or those who have been successful should give back to society, you know, as a libertarian, my, my economics kicks in and I'm like, well, what did they take from society? Do you, do you kind of have that same gut reaction or, or are you, is it different for you? It really depends. I think I, again, conscious capitalism is about getting to a point where 
businesses and business leaders don't need to quote unquote give back because and it, because it's recognized that they've created value for so many people in their normal operation. But that's, that's only the ideal. I don't think that every business leader has actually created as much value as they've been rewarded for in the market. And that's where we start to run into problems, whether it's through rent seeking or um, unfair arbitrage or from or from really actually trying to manipulate things and take advantage of individuals. There are businesses and business people out there who have not been conscious capitalists. They have been extracting rather than creating value. And I think this is actually a really important delineation and point that free market advocates need to recognize because even some of the luminaries of this thought haven't done so and have gone astray as a result. The most prominent example is Milton Friedman when he said that the social responsibility of business is to maximize profit, where he was directly responding to ideas like this. What Friedman did there, and a lot of free market advocates and libertarians do, is assume profit means value creation. When that's not actually true, profit is a number on a balance sheet. And there are lots of ways to manipulate those balance sheets or to acquire resources that don't involve creating value. So how do we get to a point where profit actually and necessarily does reflect value creation? And how do we tease out and eliminate abuse of that system in order for people to acquire wealth without creating value? So as we think about, like, companies or, or business people who maybe they, they agree with this concept and they go, yeah, I want to I go about this or I want to see more businesses embrace that. Uh, or organizational change and changing a culture that, let's say, hasn't been this way for its entire history can be a, a big obstacle. And I, I think especially with uh, very large companies. You, you mentioned the S and P earlier. So your Fortune 500 companies, blue chip stocks, and and for those who don't understand how these companies are like legally structured, I mean the the shareholders vote the board, the board hires the CEO and the other officers. But typically, the the shareholders are mostly what we call institutional investors. These are hedge funds, pension funds, mutual funds, big players on Wall Street who are voting millions and tens of millions of shares and who are themselves responsible to their fund shareholders to generate maximum returns. So when you're kind of in that system, it seems like a little bit of a hamster wheel. How do you break out of that and implement this kind of organizational change in an effective way? Ooh, that, that is not a million dollar question. That is a billion dollar question right there, Nick. <laughs> it's, it's actually something that is a big topic of conversation in the conscious capitalism community right now, because we've actually had some high profile situations where this has really been tested. Whole Foods being one, one example, where a year ago, some activist shareholders took a minority stake in the company and wanted to implement changes that weren't really conscious there. And it really threatened the fabric and DNA of Whole Foods. Now, the outcome was 
actually pretty incredible from my perspective, where management and and then the board maneuvered things in a way so that Whole Foods uh, merged with Amazon and found a great partner to think long term to integrate new stakeholder perspectives and really help drive the company forward in a conscious way. But it was, that wasn't necessarily going to be the case, and that doesn't always happen. Um, and, and there is no silver bullet here because, especially public companies, often face incentive structures that, that make it very difficult to be run consciously. In particular, requirements for quarterly reporting and then expectations for them to provide uh, guidance and things like that make it really tough. There are a few different strategies that are employed by businesses in, in our network and that I hear from conscious capitalists uh, for what they can do. That's everything from running a private business and avoid going public because those incentive structures are so bad or even taking companies private again. Panera Bread is going from being a public company to being private again in order to avoid those incentives that, that I just mentioned. Some companies remain evergreen. They don't even take outside investors. There are some that are remaining public and trying to figure out what ways that they can imbue this culture into the DNA in such a way that it won't get changed in the future, even with those kinds of pressures, whether that's through corporate governance documents, making sure you've got the right board members in place, the right management, the right training. There are a number of different approaches that businesses are taking, and it, it's going to have to be dependent upon the leadership in each business to really try and figure out how they can not only become conscious, but protect that approach in the face of opposition and pressure from different groups. So your your role at uh, Conscious Capitalism as a CEO, I mean, I kind of imagine you as like this uh, guru of uh, how to, how to do all of this stuff well and advise an advisor might be the better word for uh, business organizations. But I I have a hunch that I'm a little off on that. So what what is your role there, and what do what do businesses need to do if they if they realize that this is kind of a direction they need to to take or they don't they already know this and they just want to do better they want to quote unquote do it right the great thing about being involved with conscious capitalism is that i'm surrounded by much smarter and more impressive individuals than myself so the great thing about the community here is that we have incredible people who are a part of this that are available and interested in being advisors and supporters for others who want to go down the conscious journey what I support and what Conscious Capitalism as an organization does is really three things. The first is we provide a community for like-minded business leaders, for those business leaders who understand and believe in the potential of business as the greatest force for good in the world and want to, and either are or want to run their businesses in a business way. We help them connect with one another, develop friendships, develop mentorships or advisorships and partnerships whether that's through our annual conference or CEO summit or our chapter program around the globe. But then we also provide learning and development opportunities for either individuals or companies to go through to better understand conscious capitalism, where we, business leaders can either visit companies in our network to see how they operate and talk with their executive teams to bring those principles back to their own businesses, 
or go through workshops on conscious capitalism or even work to, with us to apply these principles to their operations directly. Lastly, for those businesses that we think are on the conscious path that we think are doing a good job of this, we want to actively communicate and share their stories with the rest of the world. We want people to know about those businesses that are making the world a better place and partner with their communications teams to help do that. And in so doing, hopefully bring more people into the community, which allows us to support their conscious journey more, which creates more stories in order to just keep spreading this message and practice until conscious capitalism becomes the de facto way that people think about and practice business. Alexander, I want to thank you for joining us today. I think this is an important element to think about, especially for those who might be listening who own or run businesses or who want to start a business or just want to think more, I would say, who want to think less abstractly about the way business should be run, because uh, this isn't just about, you know, libertarian theory. This is about active flesh and blood human beings working together in in ways that could be destructive um, and or or could uh, lead to human flourishing. Thank you so much for having me and for everything that you two are doing. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Libertarian Christian Podcast.